0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Elevating Founders, the podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and the disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest issues. Brought to you by myself, Sina Sazada, and London Tech Week. In this episode, I spoke with Falake Shasanya, the head of new and strategic channels in EMEA of Silicon Valley Bank. This was an absolutely incredible episode where we talked about investing in underfunded groups. There is a glaring gender gap when it comes to investment in women-led startups. With startup funding being the most tangible gender gap, how can we overcome it? The disparity in funding is not only stagnant, but it has decreased to 2% in 2021. In the long term, there needs to be a foundational change to level the playing field for women entrepreneurs. So how can we achieve this? And these are exactly the type of topics that we talked about with Falake. Falake Shasanya, again, is the head of New and Strategic Channels EMEA at Silicon Valley Bank. A newly established local business area at Silicon Valley Bank, New and Strategic Channels mandated to increase their clients' probability of success in the innovation economy by improving access to innovation, network, and capital for overlooked and underestimated founders. Falake was the head of EMEA Warehouse Financing at Silicon Valley Bank's UK branch when she joined in July 2019 to establish a new high growth business area for the bank. A 15-year veteran in of finance, Falake previously led acquisition financing at Royal Bank of Scotland, providing funding solutions to non-bank lenders and private equity firms. She was also director of the credit division at SIFMA, helping to shape regulatory and market structures in the fall out of the global financial crisis. She began her finance career in 2005 as a structurer in the asset-backed financing group at Credit Suisse, having joined under a special winter internship program and Never Look Back. Falake is deeply passionate about propelling small businesses for underrepresented minorities across Africa. She is an advisor board member for Little Tigers Football Club and Investment8, an initiative to dispel the fears around finance and encourage women in Africa into investing. Falaki has also earned a bachelor's in computer system engineering and a postgrad in financial mathematics at Cass Business School in London. An incredible story and wonderful experiences that Falaki draws on in this episode. And I can't wait for you guys to listen to it right now. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Falaki. How are you doing?
1: I'm really well, Sina. Nice to meet you.
0: Great to be here. Great to be on the podcast with you. And this is an episode we've been trying to record for a long time. And I can't wait to start this conversation with you just or just before london tech week because tech week is next week so
1: yeah very excited to have you on the podcast yeah i think this is actually my first london tech week so i'm really looking forward to it i'm glad to be part of it and obviously really excited that SVB is sponsoring and, and getting involved in equal, equal house so yeah i'm looking forward to this conversation
0: yeah this one um i mean i guess people will be listening to it both before and after tech week so if you listen to it before then do register for a ticket if you listen to it after i guess how did, it, how, did it, how did it go and like did you enjoy it because this tech week is going to be far bigger than the one previous years i went to the one last year the pandemic and this year yeah it's just gonna be far far bigger and i can't wait to personally go so yeah tech week's happening but how have the last sort of 12 months been for you
1: yeah i mean what a whirlwind that we've kind of gone through if you think about the past uh 24 months but certainly 12 months ago you know i think we were still in a world where. Uh, well, we certainly weren't back in the office as far as my work life. And then in personal life, we were also debating whether or not it was appropriate, safe, stupid to go on vacations or not. Right. And it was, you know, if I remember, we were going through this whole crazy thing of apps and multiple COVID tests and, you know, various tests to get into a country and quarantine and all the rest of it. And I remember just thinking, you know, when are we going to get out of it? So, you know, super mm. blessed to have. Gone through the past twelve months, you know, obviously a lot of us got COVID, a lot of us lost loved ones, or dealt with other health challenges that you know maybe went unnoticed because of COVID. So, to be honest, yeah, I'm grateful we're here. It's been challenging twelve months for many people, but at the same time, um, also quite exciting because I I sort of changed what I was doing in my professional life, which is kind of what we're talking yeah. about here today. So even that in itself has been quite a pivot and um, something that I'm yeah mm. really really enjoying.
0: What what do you think? Because the the pandemic obviously changed a lot. I don't want to focus too much on the pandemic because it's just obviously been talked about too, like loads. But within the last twelve months, you so you started this new role as you just mentioned. Has anything changed? Would you say for underrepresented like groups and founders? Has like more opportunities opened up? Less opportunities? Like how how's the landscape changed? Would you say?
1: You know, it's interesting because you know for for all the negatives of the pandemic, I think one thing that did come about is that we were all stuck in one place, if that made sense, right? So we were all kind of forced to take stock and be present. And what that meant was certain voices who maybe don't get heard when, you know, the world is just in normal flux and we're all just going about our daily lives suddenly became central voice, right? So I think it's probably not a coincidence that there were there was a lot more focus on that inequity or inequality because we saw that, look, you mm. know, the world is tricky enough as it is, like the, the disparity between the haves and the have nots been getting wider. And then you threw in this kind of unimaginable, you know, health implication and travel implication and job implication into the mix. So I think it then meant that, you know, a lot of businesses were forced to say, okay, maybe things are really not that equal because certainly from my vantage point, what I saw was in the tech space, we were already facing a world where in the past 10 years prior, less than 0.24% of funding went to black founders, less than 1% went to female founders, right? Then you throw in a pandemic and everyone's suddenly working from home and and you found that women were suddenly the ones who were actually stepping away from the workforce more because they started to do double duties, right? They became teachers and, you know, the main uh, carers for their kids at home and then sort of started to amplify some of these issues. So I think it made people, I guess, more empathetic, if you will. Um, and therefore, mm. it meant that so many topics that no doubt have been going on for years actually came front of stage. And of course, you know, that culminated with what I call, you know, the execution, or like, so someone I know uh, framed it the public execution of George Floyd, yeah. right? So we're all at home, stuck, and seeing that happen. And actually, just a few days before that, it was Ahmad Aubrey who had been killed in the US. And these are things that unfortunately still go on, obviously all around the world, but it made headlines. It meant that we all, wherever you were, were drawn to that. And it also forced us and certainly forced SVB to take stock and say, look, things are not equal. Things are not always fair. What is it that we as a collective, as people in the innovation economy, people in banking, people in any areas of privilege, those who are employed not employed like what do we actually need to do in our own little way right to move yeah.
0: The world forward in yeah way. yeah yeah I, I completely understand that I, I i i think the biggest thing apart from the pandemic within the last 12 months has been that like george floyd and a lot of other issues have really come out from from you know the last 12 months and i think the way that you articulated it the last 12 months have been massively like a um I guess an awareness or just like showing just showing these issues because they're very deep rooted issues right just showing these issues i guess what you just said about you know the banks and all the other big corporates being aware of this now i guess where does that go for in the next sort of 12 months like what what needs to happen for underrepresented groups to see like more funding opportunities open up
1: yeah i think the first thing really is is that acknowledgement right which we spoke about right so in a world where they are, if we, if we take this the, the tech world, the startup world, right? What I love about being in tech and being in innovation is that you have people who are bold, right? They have a certain vision for how they see the world. And they're looking for all of us to help them execute that vision. All of us being the banks who bank them, the investors who fund them, the advisors, the board members, et cetera. We're all, if you're people who can help hone the story for these founders who I call the real heroes of the story, right? That's kind of a term we like to use a lot because quite frankly, you have to be quite a brave person to say, you're not going to go and just get a regular job and get employed. I mean, not that it's a regular job, but you know what I mean? But like, I think there's some safety in the regularity of a paycheck versus somebody who's going out there, putting their life, their reputation, their family's life on the line to say, I really believe in this product. I have this vision. I, you know, it's completely untested but here's what I think the market looks like, and here's what I think, you know, we can do. Can you support me? So when you have the duty as the stewards of capital to really acknowledge, understand where they're coming from. And all too often in the past, I think the way banking worked and, the, you know, even the VC landscape worked was there was some level of elitism, which also made people think that there was some level of um, all-knowing, uh, you know, uh, skill about it, right? So like, we're the stewards of capital, therefore we know what good is. As opposed to now, I yeah, think what I'm seeing yeah. change. Is people are saying, actually, can we be more in listen mode? You know, what is it that somebody is identifying out there in their particular segment of the world that you, by the way, don't know because you don't live in that space, right? If you don't live in that, you have no idea if they've tapped into something that actually could be quite visionary and could move the needle in a different way to what you expect. Right. And, and I think so just mm-hmm. being able to actually acknowledge, understand, listen, I think is the first thing I would say that all corporates needed to do. But then more importantly, is actually beyond that, really try to make a change. So if we know that the sector was generally a closed ended sector, very much relationship based, these are all positive things, right? People like doing business with people they know, not necessarily anything wrong with that, but ultimately, that means you need to get to know more people, right? Rather than say, yeah. the people on the outside who don't know you, therefore aren't credible. They are credible. You just don't know them. So how do we bring mm-hmm. them in? But more importantly, how do you go to that, right? So how do we actually get to know other segments of society, female founders, uh, minority founders, any founder who's considered overlooked? Go and understand mm-hmm. what their uh, vision is for the world. And that might actually change some of your investment thesis in terms of what you think you know, you need to back and you need to support. And so that's what I, I've enjoyed about the shift, if you will. I think it's that acknowledgement that actually maybe we have just been building a world based on our vision and therefore based on our blind spot. And so there's actually real market opportunity mm. to say, what is it that I'm not even aware of that we could be building and doing and reporting and investing in? You know, that's pretty powerful rather than seeing it as, mm. oh, okay, we've got to help this female founder in natural law loan as though it's some kind of charity it isn't charity this is
0: business yeah I think I think that's the big distinction because I've spoken to um like Carl from Blackseed and from other sort of like places where they are dedicating capital to underrepresented founders but when they start raising money it, it can be like seen as a charity case when it's not that it's not that at all so that's when the perception needs to be changed and I think. When you talk, so you alluded to it in, in your answer right there, but with investors, I'd like some investors might be listening now, these issues are obviously like forefront and people are aware of them now. But as an investor navigating these sort of changes, I guess, what advice would you give to them? And you, you said a few different things, but yeah, what how would you navigate it as an investor now?
1: I think, you know, the interesting thing is investors, particularly VCs, are at the heart of disruption. But is, is a VC actually ready to be disrupted themselves, right? So do you actually acknowledge or understand that maybe there needs to be some evolution in the way you know, you've been looking at the investment landscape and founders and, and who you should be backing? So that's yeah. the first thing that I would sort of just ask them to pose a question and think about, hey, you know, is there actually scope for us to do things differently? Because. And, you know, there's there's no right or wrong, right? I think everyone has a different investment thesis. And when you say investor, I mean, it could be anything from, you know, government backed scheme, to, you know, uh, debt lenders, to, to early stage VCs, to, to more mature private equity hedge funds, right? They're all investing. you know, have different kind of risk reward expectations and different investment, you know, thesis and a different return expectation. So what I'm seeing yeah, and yeah. seeing in the of world is that If everybody's saying, okay, we're only going to invest in businesses that are going to return the fund and give us one outsized, mahusive gain where this company is going to have, you know, a 1000x, let alone 100x or 10x, then what that means is you're willing to forego lots of other really good, viable businesses that might give you 20%, 25% IR, not necessarily 100x, but actually those businesses can then be very good, very sound, very profitable, could have decent exits, maybe in the IPO market, maybe being acquired by corporates, you know, but but getting those companies through that cycle actually means you're creating much more than just one outsized return, right? You're employing mm. people in the market. You're creating a whole generation more of people into tech. You're building the next very wealthy founder who might exit and then go on to build another company. And by the way, that other company might then be the one that creates that, you know, insane unicorn that we're all chasing. But Think about all the good things that can happen mm. even if you have a successful company so why does it need to be a world I mean I'm not saying this is right or wrong it's just kind of like my something I'm sort of posing to, to all of us as market participants why does it have to be the case that we can basically expect 99 to fail and one outsized return uh give outsized returns versus actually what about if there was a world where we have 50 of our portfolio actually have pretty decent returns so perhaps it's not yeah. always the case that only vc should be the forms of, you know, capital to support early-stage founders. Because VCs traditionally look at things as very Mm. high growth. And therefore, if it doesn't fit their thesis, that's fine. Some might evolve, some some might, you know, change. Some might go a little bit earlier and look at even pre-seed deals and look at stuff that, you know, they're supporting the ecosystem in other ways. But where's the other forms of capital that might meet the balance of what Mm. the VCs aren't able to provide? So that's really like, I guess, my core action for investors is it feels very much like, We are, we're all in on just one type of investment. Um, But the businesses that we're supporting, these startups, are now overwhelmingly taking over the world, right? So it doesn't doesn't make sense that only one type of model for scale is the the way to fund businesses that are having huge impacts on all of us as individuals, Mm -hmm. not just as people in business or or people in tech. Something seems a little bit unbalanced there.
0: I would love to ask about sort of like where equity versus equality fits in this, because you're potentially like potentially giving, well, you are giving more opportunities to the disadvantaged founders, which you definitely should. But I guess I guess, the, the definition of equality is where people are given the same resources or opportunities, but equity recognizes that people have different circumstances and allocates the exact, you know, resources needed to reach an act, equal outcome. So they are, they are different. And I guess, where do you, where does that fit into to this thesis?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question because you know I'm black, British, and African, and female. So I think when I yeah. think about you know equity and equality, it's something that actually hits close to home. You know, I just to take a step back, I can think of an example of okay, I come from Nigeria originally, and that was a Commonwealth country, and you have my friends who are Australian and, and they're also a Commonwealth country, but and we can both come to this country and study. But only one of us gets to be allowed to stay after university to look for work. So you can say, oh, well, but there's a quality, we can both study, right? We're both Commonwealth nations. But one, you know, one of us is told that actually you're not really fit to stay on in your so-called motherland, if you will, um, thinking about, you know, we're just celebrating a, yeah, a week yeah. ago. And so it means that actually your trajectory in life, your outcomes could be quite different, even though you've been given the same opportunity or thinking about it again differently differently right you have women in the workforce and when we all at school you know everybody knows if they went to mixed you know gender school it wasn't just women at the top of the class or just men at the top of the class right there was a mixture so everyone had a fair shot every everyone came from different backgrounds and different you know different kinds of quality of home life but you more or less all had a fair shot in school and worked your way up through the system So why is it that by the time you then get into the workforce, you know we know this to be true that eventually the women tail off in terms of reaching the top of the so-called corporate food chain, right? Mm. So again, you can say, okay, well there is equality because you were both offered jobs. We're not in a world now where they say women can't work or anything, but there's something going on that then means despite the fact that you were getting equal grades in school and equal grades in university and both had a shot at getting into these companies, something then's going on differently to mean that men tend to be advancing higher and faster than the women, or the women kind of fall off the corporate ladder. So I think sometimes you need to recognize that there are some imbalances, which then means that some extra resource support, funding, networking, whatever it may be needs to happen to support people who are somewhat being left behind, right? So that's that's kind of how I look at it. I don't think mm. that, that is in no way taken away from whomever the other group is, because quite frankly, I think the pie is always big enough for everybody. That's what I always say with all of these things, right? You know, if we're creating a world where we have more women founders, more women investors, and they're deploying into different kinds of more interesting companies, then we're creating more unique jobs out there in the world, which in turn benefits everybody. Mm. So I, I really, you know, see these things as a net positive as opposed to some kind of tokenistic, mm. you know, diversity mandate.
0: And from and from like a funding point of view, you're talking about like the the schemes to promote, say, women in in startups and like BAME founders and stuff like that. That's that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, here.
1: exactly. So I mean, one of the things you know that we're doing um, with new Instituted channels is that we are really honing in on Black and female founders, right? Um, and and actually, from a, a mere perspective, looking at non London based founders, um, and in the US, we're looking at Black Latinx and female. Because we've seen you know, from the stats that support this is that that is a demographic that is really left behind when we think about the innovation economy. And it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it's sustainable to assume that it would just change on its own. It feels like it does require that additional intervention and attention in order to move the needle. And, and what is it we're talking about here, right? So if in the UK, uh, female-founded businesses uh, only 0.5% of them are invested in by VCs. If if I if I work on schemes that doubles mm. that number, we're still talking about one percent, right? You know, it's it's still a paltry number. But 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 by actually yeah. being focused, we're targeting and making sure that we're actually being proactive in moving that forward, right? We we I think it's a good thing to actually give extra attention. You know, if you had a child and one child you know, was falling behind on their reading, just because they both went to school and mm. studied, you wouldn't leave the other one behind, say, well, you both get a chance to study, you know, you'd give the extra attention to the one that's not reading very well, yeah. so can, you know, catch up.
0: But you are, use a very uh, interesting term there. So you said left behind. And I guess when it comes to these schemes, promoting sort of like more opportunities within these groups, would you say like, I guess an argument is that these sort of like schemes that exist, they're kind of short term fixes for a very deep rooted underlying problem. And like, do you really do you think that these sort of schemes are just there to promote these opportunities, rather than actually solving those deep rooted issues? Like, where, where do you stand on that?
1: Yeah, I love that question. And it's actually a really interesting take on this, because, you know, as I mentioned, at the top acknowledgement is really important, understanding is really important. But you know, it it comes from, I guess, this constant awareness that we're having to do just to highlight these differences. Because in an ideal world, right, you shouldn't need to have schemes to help people play catch up, right? It should feel natural. But I think we also have to understand human behavior, right? So, and human behavior is that we work, you know, more or less as packs, right? We work in comfortable spaces that we know, we do business with people that we know. So, you know, there's systemic behaviors that have to change that aren't, gonna happen overnight. So I think a lot of the schemes that we're doing is to actually level the playing field and then to show people that actually there's good business out of doing this, right? So the stats have shown that, you know, even in a corporate world, in the corporate workforce, like more diverse businesses generate better returns for shareholders. So, so, you know, if you're someone who's a pure Mm. capitalist, this is a good thing, right? So in time, it probably won't need to happen because it will just be natural. said there's probably a time when you know i mean thankfully at least it's not been in my lifetime but where it would have not seemed um you know fathomable to have such diverse workforce whether it's by race or by gender but now it feels normal so we're saying okay it's normal now to have a really diverse workforce it's normal now to expect um all kinds of people to, to start companies let's push that forward so let's actually make sure that we're not just saying okay yes you know you go ahead and you create a little startup but by the way I'm going to you know, give you a different race than the one that I'm giving my traditional founders, which is what a lot of female founders and overlooked founders will say, which is that when they go into conversations with investors, they tend to have a different quality of conversation. Either the investor doesn't have the same, you know, appreciation for, let's say, the vision that's being shared, so they don't buy into it, or they tend to ask questions around needing to see a little bit more proof Whereas anecdotally, people say, well, actually, I've seen other people raise just off the back of an mm-hmm. idea. So where do we where do we see people supporting just on vision versus just, you know, based on proof? And then on the flip side, when people create profitable businesses, then they're told, okay, I created a profitable business, but that doesn't seem like high growth. So I'm also not interested. You see what I mean? So you can imagine it as a world where, and that tends to be a lot of the case with female investors where, again, this is, you know, <laughs> stereotypical or anecdotal, but they will tend to say, you know, female female founder traditionally will tend to say that they're trying to make everything right, right? So they're proving that this works, showing the model, showing that the business can be profitable, doing all of those things. But by the way, even that isn't necessarily good, because it just means, okay, you found a nice, you know, a nice, safe business, but it's not a high growth business, and therefore people don't back you. Um, so I think what, what, what I think these schemes do is ultimately say, actually, I'm going to back you because I'm not going to just drop you because you created a profitable business. I'm going to I'm going to come and work with you and change that profitable business to a high growing, you know, super scaled business because I can bring some of my expertise mm-hmm. around networks, around scaling, around you know, bigger vision than than what you're doing. So I think it's bringing the best of both worlds, right? The vision that the female founder might have or the black founder might have, with some of the experience that the VCs have about you know creating really scalable businesses.
0: I really, really love that answer because it's it's such a huge issue, right? Like, it's and is these schemes are questioned a lot in the media whether they work or not, whether they're actually detrimental. And yeah, the answer that you gave was fantastic. I'm I'm personally a, as a founder of color myself, I, I do believe in them for sure. Falaka, I want to finish off with some quick fire questions because I've got to know you very very well, and I, I think these quick five questions are a, a lovely way to finish up the podcast. Um, so let's kick off with the with the first one. What what technology did you find most useful during the pandemic?
1: Okay, so I actually have to give this to Instagram and maybe second place to Clubhouse. Instagram? Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's interesting.
1: Very interesting, because when I think about how um, devastating the pandemic could have been, right, everybody was separated from their families and loved ones. I have to say, with those two apps, I was talking to people all around the world like they were just in my bedroom. Mm. Right, and and it was yeah. just really fascinating to see some of the things that came up through that. So, I don't know, if anyone's into music and they like R and B and hip hop, and they're aware of the verses that came up during the pandemic, right, or if they're aware of um, D nice and the, uh, the, the the DJ he stood in the middle of the night that even Michelle Obama joined at one point, ultimately made the world so much more connected. Um, and created a whole new opportunities that I don't think we've even really understood. Is from anyone who grew up like in the eighties and nineties, it's just actually unfathomable how connected we are now and and the opportunities that that's brought about. So yeah, I'm going to give that one to Instagram.
0: That's okay, that's a good answer. I didn't expect that, that's amazing. (laughs) What's a startup you're loving at the moment and why?
1: So um, I, as a black woman, struggle a lot with all things uh, health and hair living in the UK. Rachel Chamasi Corson runs a business called Afrocentrics, which I absolutely love because they are looking at, you know, consumer tech from a health perspective as well. And they're creating amazing line of hair care products that actually aren't gonna end up giving me fibroids and cancers and everything else that the traditional uh, hair care brands in our high streets are doing. So yeah, I love everything she's doing there. I pretty much own everything that she sells.
0: Okay. Yeah. Amazing answer. And very lastly, fill in the blank, to be a founder, you must be?
1: You must believe the universe will conspire to make good things come through for you. I think founders are visionaries. They have to be a little bit, um, you know, free spirited and, and not take the path that's known and chosen. And therefore you've got to believe that actually, if you, if you put stuff out there, the universe will conspire to make it happen
0: amazing amazing falaka it's been amazing having you on the podcast i loved having you on how can people stay in touch with you and what you're doing obviously um if you're listening to this before tech week both myself and falaka will be at tech week so do say hi but otherwise how can people stay in touch with you Uh,
1: you can reach me on linkedin falaka Shasanya. i'd love to talk to people who want to know more about new strategic channels who want to work with us in terms of making ecosystem more equitable for female founders and black and overlooked founders so yeah happy to get engaged with anyone who is part of who wants to be part of this mission amazing thank you
0: so much again for coming on the podcast elevating founders and i'm sure we'll speak very soon thanks so much thank you so much for having
1: me really enjoyed it thank you Stephen.
0: That is it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. If you have any questions or concerns, head over to our social channels linked in the show notes to join the conversation or email us at elevatingfounders at If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe the podcast. It helps podcasts grow so much, more than you can imagine. Now, one last extremely exciting announcement. Elevating Founders Europe is back this June at London Tech Week. If you haven't already registered to attend, What are you waiting for? It's an amazing event. I went last year um, and that was in the middle of like COVID, right? And it was an extravagant event. And this year they're going even bigger. So if you haven't registered already, please do. It's going to be a huge event. Visit LondonTechWeek.com to find your passes. And hopefully you can meet me there. I'm, I'm going to be there as well. So thank you so much for listening to this episode again. And we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks so much.